My name's Kevin. I'm one of the worship drummers. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. wrap up this 53-week-long uh, journey through the Scriptures where we've looked at the overarching narrative of the Bible. Each week along the way, Pastor Josh has given us a devotional reading plans that are designed to kind of prepare our hearts for the message that you're going to hear on Sunday. And this week, those readings were in First and Second Timothy and Titus. We are wrapping up a nine-week-long kind of series within the series on the church. And my intention when I laid this plan out um, quite a few months ago was that this Sunday we'll be talking about God's plan for order and structure in the church and why that really matters for us and how God uses that to help us. But as I reread those three books this week, um, I just got convicted that I needed to go in a little different direction because nestled near the end of 2 Timothy is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It is a Mount Rushmore verse that you would do well to memorize, uh, to hide away in your heart. As I meditated on it afresh this week, it reminded me of this biblical truth that's in your notes and that I pray um, that the Holy Spirit would persuade you of this morning, that the most important reality in your life is the Word of God. The most important reality in your life is the Word of God. Of our God. It's more important than your spouse or your children or your family, more important than your education or your job or your hobbies, than your health or your age or your psychological profile, more important than your financial situation or your earning power, more important than your past or your present or even your future. The most important reality in your life is the Word of God. Now, I know there are some of you who will agree with that. In the next 30 minutes or so, you will rejoice to just think about and consider that afresh this morning. And I know that there are some of you who will outright disagree with that. My encouragement to you is that I would ask for you to just be open-handed and consider these things as we walk through them. Don't, don't shut me down because you disagree with the premise. Just be open-minded to what it is um, that God's Word says about this idea that the most important reality in your life is the Word of God. I also know there are some of you who will say that you agree, but functionally there's nothing in your life that would provide any evidence that that's true. And you're really the people that I felt like the Lord put on my heart most this week. Because intellectually, you would agree with that, but functionally in your day-to-day life, that you couldn't find any actual evidence that that's true. And so I want you to lean in a little bit this morning and hear what God has to say to us through His Word. Because the most important reality in your life is the Word of God. If you have a Bible, take it and turn to 2 Timothy 3. 
We're going to read verses 14 to 17. We're going to deep dive on verse 16, but I want you to see verse 16 in its immediate context. So we'll read verses 14 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to his protege in the ministry, a young man named Timothy. And back in chapter 1, Paul had reminded Timothy that he had first received his faith from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And then later in life, he became, Paul became something of a mentor and a spiritual father to him. And so I think it's likely that Paul has those three people in mind, Lois, Eunice, and himself, when he says to Timothy that he knows from whom he's heard these things. Verse 15, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you hear us talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, or maybe you have gone through starting point, and we talk about this some when we get to our view on the Word, but th this is what we mean. Is if you're not a Christian yet, everything that you need to be reconciled to God, forgiven of your sins, and to inherit eternal life is in the Scriptures. You don't need the Scriptures and me, or the Scriptures and an inspiring song. You don't need the Scriptures and practicing mindfulness, or and a spiritual pilgrimage. You don't need the Scriptures and a retreat where you can just get away Honestly, you don't even need the scriptures and the church, though it's hard to have one without the other. But the, the place where the wisdom that it will bring you to a place of salvation through faith in Christ is found is in the scriptures. It's the sacred writings. It's the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says it this way. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how faith comes about. It's the most important reality in your life is the word of God. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, Paul is writing from prison he is, death is imminent. This is likely either the last letter or among the last letters that he wrote to Timothy. Timothy uh, is serving in a role as the pastor of the church in a city called Ephesus. And so in verse 17, when Paul, writing to Timothy, says that the man of God might be equipped, he means the pastor, the, the preacher. But what is true about the scriptures for Timothy in his role as pastor was also true for the people and the church at Ephesus that Timothy pastored. And what is true about the scriptures for them is also true for the scriptures for, uh, true about the scriptures for us. That's hard to say. Because it's true for all believers in all churches across all time. And Paul says the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. They are, they continue working in you, making you complete after you've come to repentance and faith. And they're able to equip you for every good work so that you can live out 
your faith. You tracking with him? That they, they bring you to faith, they make you complete in your faith, and they help you live out your faith. It's the most important reality in your life is the word of God, which, back to verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's the most important reality in your life. It's the word of God. Verse 16. First, all scripture, Paul says. That's how he begins verse 16, all scripture. So we have to ask at least two questions. Well, what sacred writings are you talking about, Paul? And why aren't you talking about the other writings? What, what does he mean when he says all scripture? Prior to the birth of Jesus, which we celebrate around this time every year, God revealed himself to his people in a variety of ways. He revealed himself to his people through providence. So you can think, for example, of how God um, managed to get Joseph to Egypt or how he used the decree of King Cyrus to allow the exiled Jews to return to Jerusalem. Revealed himself through miracles. So you can think about Moses in the burning bush or the parting of the Red Sea or manna in the desert for 40 years every morning to sustain his people as they wandered. Revealed himself through words. Rarely, but sometimes audibly, more often through the words of his prophets. He revealed himself through inspired poetry and songs. You can think about perhaps in Exodus, the Song of Moses or the entire book of Psalms, which contains the songbook of ancient Israel. And these self-revelations of God are written down, meticulously and faithfully copied, and preserved over a period of roughly 1,500 years by the scribes and the prophets, the kings and other officials in Israel. But in them, they express an awareness that they are partial. They express an awareness that the fullness of God's self-revelation is yet to come, and He's going to come in a person, and that person comes to be referred to as the Messiah. The writer of Hebrews is going to reflect on this and say, in the past, in many times, in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers, but now he has revealed himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're, they're aware that more is to come. But these, these writings are referred to by the Hebrews as the Tanakh. They were three parts, the law, which they called the Torah, the Nebi'im, which they meant prophets. Um, and then the writings, the, their word was the Kethubim. And so the, the Tanakh was what they meant. In our tradition, we refer to it as the Old Testament. So we refer to the Pentateuch, the law, the first five books. And then we have history books and wisdom books and prophetic books. So which books were part of the Tanakh, part of the Old Testament, was not debated at all after 90 AD at the latest, at the latest. So even liberal academic scholars who are just studying these things from a literary standpoint, even they would agree nobody's arguing about this after about 90 AD. But there are a lot of other ancient writings produced by the Hebrews and even mentioned in our Old Testament that neither Israel nor the church ever considered to be scripture. Helpful? Yes. 
In many cases, accurate reflections of the history of Israel? Yes. But the word of God, scripture, no. And there's overwhelming agreement on that. Several hundred years later, you get to some mild disagreement, notably with the Catholic Church, with a collection of books that they call the Apocrypha. But even Martin Luther, who died considering himself a devout Catholic, said of the Apocrypha, quote, These books are not held equal to the sacred scriptures and yet are useful and good for reading. And so some of you may know, and maybe you've already picked up a copy of it, our men's ministry is going to read through Tony Evans' book uh, beginning in January. But like none of you are confused about whether No More Excuses out in the lobby is part of the Bible. Fair? We about had to start over here. Woo! <laughs> Seven years we've been talking about this. That's a layup, right? Nobody's confused. Like nobody thinks, oh, in, in No More Excuses, chapter 3, verse 4, right? So if hundreds and hundreds of years from now, somebody is looking through our records and they find that book and they say, well, how come this wasn't included? The writings of the apostle John were scripture. Surely the writings of Dr. Tony Evans were scripture. And we would all be going like, bro, none of us were confused about that. And we didn't answer when he asked, but we weren't confused, right? And the same thing is true. So when you get to the New Testament, for example, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Or in John 5, 39, he says, he's fussing at the religious elite of his day. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. Everybody knew what he was talking about. They all agreed which writings he was referring to as scripture, as law, as prophets. He meant the Hebrew Tanakh. He meant our Old Testament. That's why the religious establishment of his day wanted to kill him. Because they knew that he was claiming to be the one the scriptures had promised would come and fully reveal God to them. So, honestly, rarely do you hear people arguing about that anymore. What you do hear people arguing about more often are the books that we refer to as the New Testament. And pushback on those comes primarily in two places. First is that people will say the apostles and the early church, they didn't see these letters as being on par with the Old Testament scriptures that Paul's referring to in verse 16. Rather, they would claim that hundreds and hundreds of years later, the people either made up these letters or they propped up these letters to kind of perpetuate the Jesus myth. That that's really what they were trying to do. Well, it's just not true. And, and people who argue that reveal that they haven't even read the letters that they're trying to refute. For example, Jesus in John 14, 25 and 26 says to the apostles, this is nearing the end of his life, these things I've spoken to you while I'm with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus, God the Son, promised that God the Father was going to send God the Holy Spirit to the apostles so that they could write these things down accurately. And as they did, they were aware, to one degree or another, of what they were doing. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, Was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So Paul says, I'm telling you, this is from Jesus. Peter likewise in 2 Peter 3. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them which are hard to understand. And people said, right? If you struggle sometimes to understand, like you're in Romans and you're just, hey, Peter did. You're okay. That's fine. Peter walked with the Lord Jesus when he was alive and sometimes had to sit down and really, really wrestle in his grow group with what Paul was writing. That's okay. Like, don't give up. It's fine. Some things in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter is calling Paul's writing scripture while Peter and Paul are still alive. So just like in the Old Testament, so too during the New Testament time, there are other writings that the apostles in the early church did not consider to be scripture. As an example, we know that Paul wrote at least two other letters to the church in Corinth that the church did not consider to be scripture. They weren't Holy Spirit inspired. The second way that people will attack the New Testament is by claiming that, uh, see what happened was, after Constantine declared Christianity to be legal, then there was a bunch of old men who got together, and they decided to just include certain things that had been floating around for a while that would prop up the patriarchy and kind of keep this whole thing going. The last of the New Testament letters, books, was written in the 90s A.D., Book of Revelation, John's on exile on the island of Patmos. He's the last living apostle. It's the last book. By roughly 150 AD, there was near universal agreement about which books, which letters were scripture and which were not. All the books recognized as scripture by the church had three things in common. They were written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle. For example, the gospel of Mark, Mark traveled around with the apostle Peter, and so Mark's the one that wrote these things down, but he gets it directly from Peter. So that, that's the first one. They, the, the content of those letters conform to the rule of faith, which is a phrase we don't really use much anymore. It just means right doctrine, right teaching of the church. And they were already widely accepted by the churches and in use and had been over the last 50 or 80 years. So the churches recognition of the scriptures some have likened as as an example to the way that um, sir isaac newton discovered gravity like nobody thinks that newton invented gravity fair he he recognized what was already there and he helped us to define it so to the church recognized holy scripture and was able to define it over and against false gospels and false writings and false doctrine. So much so that by the early 300s, they are able to clearly refer to the 
canon of Scripture come together in a council and identify what it is to make sure that these heresies that were popping up and these false writings that people were pinning just literally as works of fiction weren't considered Scripture. They didn't make it up then. They wrote down what had already been recognized for several hundred years. The church had long ago recognized the Scriptures. So the Bible that you have in your hands or that you have on your phone contains all the writings being referred to by Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16 when he says, all Scripture. Second, is God-breathed? All Scripture is God-breathed. I don't like to throw Greek words out at you because I'm not trying to seem academic. If you had seen my struggle in the language when I took it, you would understand that. Not my spiritual gifting is not ancient languages. But the word that Paul uses here is theopneustos. God breathed, breathed out by God. And it is much stronger than if he had used the word inspired. Much stronger. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 is the first known usage of that word in the Greek language. Not just in the New Testament writings, but nowhere in all of the archaeology and the Greek writings and all of that, nowhere before 2 Timothy 3.16 is that word used. Paul is coining a new phrase to define a truth and a reality previously unknown in that language. Theopneustos, it's God breathed. He's saying the scriptures themselves, the words are God breathed. They're not inspiring in the way that a sunset inspires a painter or a really good stage play might inspire a screenwriter to make an adaptation for film. Paul is saying these words, all of these words, each and every one of these words has been breathed out by God the Father through God the Holy Spirit. So if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak aloud, read it out loud. You'll hear him speak audibly. The Apostle Peter helps us get this picture a little more clearly in 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 19 to 21, Peter says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I once heard... Uh, pastors say that um, the image there is, is like a boat being carried along by the wind and its sails. Right? The, the wind comes and the boat is moving. And so what happens is we often see biblical authors attribute what they're writing to both themselves and God. So don't, don't think of it like they're not zoned out puppets whose hands are just like they don't have any idea what's going on. And God, that's not what... Paul is saying they're aware to some degree, at least, of what it is that God is having them do. And there are hundreds of examples of that. I'll just give you one from the Old Testament, one from the New, and one from Jesus to to show you I'm not just making this up. 
In Amos 1.1, the prophet writes, he opens the book, these are the words of Amos, who is among the shepherds of Tekoa. Then in chapter 8, verse 11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God. So Amos understands, I'm writing, God's speaking. In Luke's gospel about Jesus' life and ministry, he records the prophecy of Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's dad, says in part in Luke 170, this prophecy, verse 70 of that, it says that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. So this is the way they understood that these things had come about. Jesus himself, in Matthew 22, verses 31 and 32, says, As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Which is a quote of Exodus 3, 6, written by Moses. You see, so we have these explicit claims where biblical authors and the Lord Jesus himself are saying, we're writing God speaking. We're being carried along by the Holy Spirit as we pen these things. This is not coming out of our own interpretation. In addition to that, I think you can make a good argument that Jesus' life and ministry bear testimony to his view of the scriptures. He says in Matthew 5, verses 18 and 19, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Again, the words of Jesus in John 10, 35. The scriptures cannot be broken. On the night of his arrest, in Matthew chapter 26, there's a quite literal lynch mob that has come to the garden to arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls out his sword. He wants to fight back because he knows if they arrest him, they're going to kill him. He, he, he understands what's coming. Jesus tells him to settle. And he says this in verse 52. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 12 legions ballpark is about 72,000 angels. Jesus says, I can just call them down. In Isaiah chapter 37, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian troops in a night. One, Jesus says, look, man, I can get 72,000 of these guys. Like, put your sword away, verse 54. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Pastor Andy Davis at First Baptist Durham said of this passage, Jesus would rather die than disobey the scriptures. Why? Because Jesus, God the Son, knew and believed that the scriptures were the very words of his Father breathed out through the Spirit. Now, you may not agree with that, and that's okay. You can be at King's Cross and listen and press in and ask questions, but know this, Jesus thought the scriptures 
where God breathed. That's his view of the scriptures, of all scripture being God breathed. And third, profitable. All scripture is God breathed and profitable. Four, Paul writes, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So he he defines what it's profitable for. He says it's profitable for teaching. The scriptures can instruct you on what is right, on God's law and on God's will and how to apply it to your life. For reproof, the scriptures will convict you when you are wrong, when you've strayed from the right teaching. For correction, the scriptures will help you get back on track after you've strayed. And for training in righteousness, they will bring your heart, your mind, your actions, your soul increasingly into conformity with Christ's likeness. Paul says this is what all the scriptures do. They are able to teach you about God and godliness They're able to convict you when you go astray, correct you to get you back on the right track, and teach you how to live in a way so that you can be all it is that God has declared you to be in Christ by His grace through your faith. So follow His argument. They contain all you need to come to salvation by faith in Christ. That's verse 15. All you need to know Him and live the life that He's called you to live. That's verse 16. So that, as we read earlier in verse 17, you can be equipped for every good work. You can live the way he's called you to live. They bring you to salvation. They grow you up in salvation. And they help you live out that salvation. Everything you need for salvation, for life, for godliness, breathed out by God through his spirit, communicated to us through the personalities cultures, lives, times, circumstances of 40 different authors over 1,500 years on three continents in three different languages. And then preserved, duplicated, and translated by faithful men and women who understood that the most important thing in life was the Word of God. They wanted you to have it. They believe that the most important thing in your life is the Word of God. I wonder, do you believe that? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter than honey, even drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord ever before me. He is at my right hand 
so I shall not be moved. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your law. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The most important reality in your life is the word of God. Do you believe that? If you don't, can I challenge you? Would you just read through the Gospel of John? New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John has 21 chapters. If you start reading tomorrow, one chapter a day, you'll finish on New Year's Eve. Just try it. What do you have to lose? You read a chapter of John a day and tell me if by New Year's Day you don't desire more of God's Word. If you don't, email me. We'll go to lunch or coffee, and I'd love to hear. We just talk about your experience and why it didn't resonate. If you don't have a Bible, come to me as someone did after the first service. So I don't have a Bible. I went in my office and got one. We will get, Pastor Josh or I will get you a Bible. You can leave here today with one if you don't have it. But just read it and try and see. Pray earnestly that God would open your eyes and enliven your heart to see him in the scriptures. If you're somebody who would raise your hand and say, I believe that, I believe that the word of God is the most important reality in my life, then can I challenge you to make a commitment right now to resolve in your own heart that with God's help, you will follow through on a reading plan next year. Follow through on. I know you started them. I've got a ton of them that I started, and somewhere in the early part of Deuteronomy, life got the better of me. Let's just resolve in our hearts. If you don't know how to do that, if you don't have a reading plan, if you'll take out your phone and scan that QR code, it's going to take you directly to a page on our website. On that page, you're going to find tools of how to study the Bible. You're going to find tools on how to memorize the Bible. And you'll find four different reading plans that you can pick from to read through the Bible. And they vary. If you look there and you look at those four and you say, ah, it doesn't do it for me. Grab me or Josh, we will get you. There's like a zillion of them. We will get you one that works for your schedule that you're interested in that you want to lean into. If you don't love QR codes, go to our website. Go to the top where it says ministries. Click on adult discipleship. And the first thing that's going to come up is Bible study plans. So you can old school it if you don't like to QR code it. I'm a pastor because I believe the word of God is the most important reality in your life. I believe all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Let's pray. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.